Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? What's up, nerds? Welcome to another episode of the Multiverse Report. We are recapping the week's nerdy news from Warner Brothers Discovery to Amazon Prime and everywhere in between. Those locations will make sense momentarily. My name is Mike Gibson. <laughs> With me, as always, is Steve Haller. What's up, Steve? Uh, free two-day delivery on all your Warner Brothers digital uh, <laughs> needs, apparently. Apparently, yeah. So, if this is the first episode that you are watching and or listening to, you should know that in your podcast feed or on your YouTube channel, whatever, there are two additional episodes that we've just recorded before this one. One recapping the new trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And boy, we had some stuff to say about that title. And then uh, also for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the trailer for that. So scroll back and listen to us talk about those things. Especially if you're interested in see- in listening or seeing uh, an alarm go off on my phone and me unable to turn it off for <laughs> way too long. Stick quite, around quite to the end to find out the twist ending of why I couldn't turn it off. Um, I don't remember even which one that was on. Was that on Indie? It was on Indie, right? Uh, yeah, that was on the Indie one. Yeah, it was on the Indiana Jones one. Okay, yeah, so tune in for that. Um, anyway, so because those were kind of the two big... Uh, nerd news drops we got this week were those two trailers. We got a couple other trailers, too. We're going to talk about one of them, at least. Um, this episode might be a little on the lighter side, but we've said that before, and we've still talked for over an hour, so who knows? Um, but, again, as we do much too often lately, I feel like, on this show, we're starting off with a, a rest in peace section. Uh, one for Tim Kennedy, uh, an artist for Archie Comics passed away this week. Kennedy began working on Archie Comics in 1989 and was doing so um, up until his death, I believe. I, I, don't, I didn't read anything about him having retired or anything. I think he was still an active artist. Archie Comics is not something that we talk about too much on this show, Steve. I have never read an Archie comic. Have you ever read an Archie comic? Uh, like the actual classy, classic Archie? Anything, um, classic or modern. They're still coming out. They're out coming out now. Wow, I did not realize that. Uh, I thought they yeah, were right. like an, no. I thought they were like an umbrella. Um, no man, I I actually have way back like when I was a kid. I definitely read some. Um, you know not, what? I think you're right. I think I did too. Yeah, definitely not in modern uh, modern times. Well, from what I've recently learned about Archie Comics is that they shockingly can get pretty wild, um, referencing like other realities and are taking place in other realities or bringing in, you know, kind of modern twists or just doing um, much more uh, interesting stuff than you would think of a typical Archie book. But I think they kind of kind of know what they are and they kind of lean into it in a way that subverts it. Um, gotcha. So anyway, um, and they did that Riverdale and, you know, show they've been too, being, right? What's that? Riverdale on uh, CW. Yes. There. River. Yeah. Riverdale is a gritty, interpretation gritty teen drama interpretation of archie comics uh which i believe tim kennedy from the article that i read about his life today actually um drew one of these multi uh you know multiverse archie crossovers um bringing in the gritty versions of the riverdale uh cast riverdale teens to meet the classic archie characters which i'm sure was um, hilarious and wild. Um, and, you know, Archie Comics have been around for a long time, since like the 50s or 60s, and, you know, having, you know, Tim starting in 1989 and, and still working on Archie Comics is a long time. So, um, rest in peace, Tim Kennedy, art, uh, artist for Archie Comics. Also, we lost Aileen Kaminsky-Crum, um, a complete, uh, incredibly legendary underground comics artist um, known for her very raw, very autobiographical, and very confessional comic strips. Um, she passed away this week from pancreatic cancer. Um, she, again, was like a legend of like the independent comic strips scene. Uh, she was married to R. Crumb, another legendary comic artist, um, kind of like 
you know, subgenre, very underground kind of stuff. Um, if you knew them, you loved them, um, and you loved them for, or you love, or if you knew her, you loved her, and you loved her for her, again, just like not being, you know, fearlessness, I guess, uh, fearlessness um, of subject matter, fearlessness of um, confessing personal either uh, problems or um, troubles or hangups that um, somebody might have. I don't know. Um, so a huge loss to the underground comics community. And last but not least, three RIPs this week, which is, you know, sadly... I think we had three RIPs last week or the week before with Kevin Conroy and two other comic artists, yeah. but I just learned right before we recorded this. Um, and this isn't necessarily nerd related, but it is related to me and my youth and my heart. So I wanted to shout out um, or uh, sorry, shout out is a tacky way, <laughs> way to say this, but I wanted to um, acknowledge, uh, acknowledge, show some love to uh, Bob McGrath. Bob McGrath, um, who you may know as being Bob from right. Sesame Street. I was going to say, you I, are... I never knew his last name was McGrath. It was just Bob because, well, he was Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you are my age or Steve's age or, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, you definitely watched Sesame Street growing up. And uh, Bob was definitely there. And he, he was there until uh, maybe 10 years ago or so or less than when... 20, um, 2016. Five, 10 years ago. 2016, last, yeah, uh, when HBO bought it, Sesame Street, and made it a half hour and fired everybody <laughs> after saying that they weren't going to change anything about the show. Yep. Uh, they and changed a ton about it. He and, did come back for the 50th uh, anniversary, but that 2016 was his last like recurring role. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, man, I, st I, I always loved him. When I was a kid, he was my favorite non-Muppet cast member. Um, I still watch him. I, I don't know. Every year, there's many years. You know, we're going. We're in December right now. We're in the Christmas season. There are many years where I watch the Sesame Street Christmas special, the original mm -hmm. one that I watched when I was a kid, or I watch it with my son. He's a big part of that too, and it kind of takes me back to my childhood. He was always just such a very. I mean, and everybody on that show, you have to be very open and very welcoming and very friendly. Oh yeah. And I just always saw him as just this wonderful uh, spirit. And from all reports, he was that in real life as well. And um, he was 90 years old. So, um, but, you know, truly a, a long and wonderful life lived a lot of joy and happiness brought to just people all over the world. I feel like anyone who watched, I mean, how many kids our age watch Sesame Street? Ninety percent of them. I was gonna say probably to if they own a television. Most of them, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think about how I wish my son watched more Sesame Street. Yeah. But there's so much. There's other options now. When I was a kid, that was it, <laughs> really. Right. Like it was that or the there wasn't non-educational like cartoons. Exactly. Like Hanna Barbera. Yeah, for and, stuff that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for stuff that my parents would let me watch it was going to be sesame street or nothing else and now there's a million other educational programs and things you know that my son can watch so he chooses those instead of sesame street it's not like he doesn't like sesame street but it's never his number one choice it was the right. only choice and my it was always my number one choice when i was a kid it's no story bots which oh, are amazing. my son is crazy into story bots right now which i acknowledge is great you know yeah. it's not like i'm sitting there mad at story bots because it's not sesame street but um, anyway, we're getting away from it. Um, but all love and respect to Bob McGrath um, for all that he uh, did for me as a child and for um, many kids around the world. So rest in peace, Tim Kennedy, Aileen Kaminsky-Crum, and Bob McGrath. Heroes from the Multiverse Report. <sighs> Moving into some actual news again. Not a ton of like heavy hitting stuff other than those two trailers that dropped. And I feel like those two trailers dropped and they were like, yeah, that's all we need to do this week. <laughs> right. We don't need to really announce anything else. We'll, we'll those are huge trailers for Indiana Jones 5. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is kind of in line with some things we've been talking about lately regarding Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, Steve, I'll be interested to see what you think of this because I have an opinion on it as well. Well, Warner Brothers Discovery apparently is close to a, making a deal with Amazon Prime for streaming 
animated DC content. Now, this is a reference to our intro, where I said uh, from Warner Brothers Discovery to Amazon Prime. Apparently, the head of Warner Brothers TV, uh, Channing Dungey, I think her name is, she spoke to Variety this week, and she said, one of the interesting things that's exciting for me at this moment is the approach of the previous management was more like everything has to stay in-house. We don't want anything to go outside. David Zaslav has been much more open to exploring all of our animated IP and being able to do it on different platforms. Certainly, HBO Max is going to be our first stop, but we're already in the process of closing a big deal with Amazon that's going to feature some of our DC-branded content in animation. So she's referencing maybe the Disney Plus model where we're Disney Plus, this is our streaming service. Everything we own, we're going to bring in-house. If you want to watch it, you got to watch it on Disney Plus. Disney movies, Pixar movies, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, it's all in one place. And originally, that was a plan with HBO Max. DC, Cartoon Network, uh, Studio Ghibli, all these other things that are owned by Warner Brothers, all going to be under one roof, HBO Max. Right. That apparently is not the strategy of David Zaslav, as we've known, because he's just letting he's letting animated Batman shows go to another network. He's letting um, he's letting J.J. Abrams pitch Justice League Dark shows to other networks. Like, yeah, right. So he clearly doesn't care about keeping everything under one roof. He also doesn't care about animation, as we know that they laid off a lot of their animation staff. They merged Warner Brothers Animation with Cartoon Network, which they own. So he's not a big animation guy. He's letting, and now he's letting more animation escape HBO Max. I can see positives in this, and I can see negatives in this. Steve, what do you think? Uh, what's off the top of your head? My brain just says, why? Like, when you already have the streaming service and the infrastructure there, right. why? Like, you own the IP. You're not going to make a return on your investment beyond what you would just putting it on your service, or I can't imagine. You can pitch, you know. I is was it Zasla? No, no, I'm I'm confusing my IPs. That was uh, Chapik before he was fired, saying that kids or uh, adults don't want to watch animation. Don't like animation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that changes I mean, me back. I wouldn't. Chapik said that. I don't know that David Zaslav thinks much differently than that. I feel like he Fair. might be on the same board as like an older dude who doesn't understand that adults watch animation all the time. All yeah. the time. Oh yeah. Especially this DC stuff they're talking about. If they're talking, I mean, it says DC branded content in animation. That could be a lot of stuff. That could right. be stuff like, you know, DC superhero girls or teen Titans go, which are made for younger audiences. Or it could be, um, it could be Batman the Cape Crusader, which is the show that they let go to pitch to other um, streamers. It could be, um, or it could be like the very R-rated DC direct-to-video uh, films that they make. Right. Um, which are, you know, they use language. They're very violent. People die horribly in them. So I don't know really what they're talking about. It could be any of those things or it could be all of those things. Um. And I definitely see what you're saying, Steve, as like a why. Why you're, you know, like we talked about when they said they're letting J.J. pitch Justice League Dark or Bruce Tim take the Batman show somewhere else. Like, why? You own this stuff. Make them come to you if they want to see it. Make them buy HBO Max. But I also see having everything in one place, I don't know, like, I don't know, if you just love Star Wars, say someone just loves Star Wars and they never watch Pixar movies, they never watch Disney animated movies, maybe they like some Marvel stuff, but they're not super into it. They just really like Star Wars. Yeah. Is it worth them paying whatever it is a month for Disney Plus versus just buying all those movies on Blu-ray and then watching them and then they never have to, you know? Like, what is keeping them, what is keeping their Disney Plus subscription other than Star Wars stuff? Right. You know, like if or maybe you just own Amazon Prime for the free shipping and you don't have every other streaming service, you can still watch a Batman cartoon or you can still watch a Justice League cartoon on Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? Like 
they are making their IP more available by having it on other platforms. You know, and I mean, Disney is huge. Disney has a brand that is bigger than any other brand. They're they're bigger than Warner Brothers. They're bigger than Amazon Prime. They're bigger than like Paramount or whatever. You know, their studio has like a streaming service. But I see the positive in having your IP more available on a wider scale. I get that because like, oh, I watch this cool Superman show on Amazon Prime. Where can I get other Superman stuff? Oh, HBO Max. I'm going to sign up for that. Or, oh, now there's a new Superman movie coming out. I don't have HBO Max, but I saw this cool Superman thing. So now I want to go see that movie. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, and I guess I could get I can... that um, to a degree. The I, My brain, my Marvel brain immediately goes back to the 90s when Prometer was gutting everything and just well, selling everything off to everybody. And sure. it's like, what? why? Especially with something like DC where you have the infrastructure. Like I get why Marvel did it back then as dumb as it was because they were bleeding money. Like it was just hemorrhaging and uh, they needed to find some way to, Hey, if you license this, then you can pay us money type thing. Right. With DC, you have an established brand. You have an established streaming platform. You have an established everything. Is there the need? And I guess if they do it in a targeted manner, I could see it working out, but if they don't, and it's just this broad brush, like start farming things out to everyone, then it could be a problem for them. Yeah, you're right. And does it, here's my question, does it throw a monkey wrench into whatever plans James Gunn and Peter Safran have for the DC universe? Because as we know, they said that the two of them are in charge of content for, and they said there's, they're, they want to tell one big story. They're talking about one continuity, building one continuity between films, TV, video games, and I'm pretty sure they said animation. Right. Also, I mean, if they're I doing video wrong. games, they, you would assume that's in there. Yeah. So I can't imagine that. I mean, clearly, I'm sure they've been having talks with Amazon Prime about this deal for a while. I can't imagine that no one told James Gunn that they were doing this. Like, he knows about this. Right. But you got to wonder, does it put a wrench in his plans or does it make it harder for him to execute this story that they want to tell? Obviously, not everything's going to be, like, so continuity-driven. I don't think that you have to have seen everything else. Who knows? I guess I don't know what their plan is. Nobody does, except the two of them until, I don't know, hopefully soon. I'm dying to know what their plan is. Um, but more so than that, this is kind of a bigger, uh, just industry question. Um, Channing Dungy went on to say, talking about in general, their idea of how to utilize HBO max and streaming versus theatrical versus whatever. She said, I think about it as quote, the great Netflix correction that happened at the beginning of this year where now people are looking differently at what defines success. It's not just about subscribers, for example. And I think the cost of productions, people are taking a much harder look at them than they had before. We were in a little bit of a spending bubble for a while, and I think it's good. I think things are settling back down in ways that are helpful and more productive. So this is like another... I feel like we've seen a couple stories lately about corporations or brands whatever kind of realizing does it really make sense to be putting this much money into a streaming service that only gets us ten dollars a month or whatever versus we could make this into a thing that you have to buy or you have to go see in the theater which will make us millions of dollars um so like and i think we talked about this in the aftermath of the batgirl cancellation like is Warner Brothers le- kind of leading the charge away from streaming back to a theatrical um, experience or like a regular, I guess, I, is there even a thing as regular TV anymore? Like, I think it's all on streamers, but they, they seem to be based on things that David Zaslav has said, oh, he wants to focus on theatrical and based on this quote, it seems like they don't necessarily want to just be pumping money into streaming content for the sake of saying they have streaming content. They want to make sure that they are 
doing something that is successful. And like she mentions like a spending bubble, like, yeah, like Netflix is in a position where they don't have to release their numbers necessarily, which is crazy to me, but we, you never really know how successful a streaming show is unless they want to tell you, you know, right. yeah, know, there's wild. no, you spent how much money on this versus if it was a movie, you could have made a hundred million dollars, but how many subscribers did you get for, you know, Godzilla versus Kong? Or whatever, right? You know? More on that later. Um, More on that later. But uh, yeah, I mean, it—the whole situation and the whole—we're uh, coming full circle on the streaming platforms. Yeah. Like we all, our generation, all moved to streaming to get the hell away from advertisements and for right. on-demand. Like, I don't want to flip through eight thousand channels. I want to watch what I want to watch, and that's it. Yeah, I've been doing this all my life. You're telling me I don't have to watch commercials anymore? Right. Sign me up. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, they they made it easier than DVRing it and just skipping the commercials. Uh Right. Yeah. But like you go from that to now anything I watch on Hulu, I've got to watch with ads or pay a boatload more of money right. a month. Um Yeah. So it, everything is going everything's going full circle. Streaming is becoming cable again. And then we'll find out what the next iteration is. And then the big companies will be slow to adopt and we'll be right back in the same situation we are now. Yeah. I mean, even like, uh, something where a lot of streamers other than Netflix, I mean, Netflix is realizing it, but they're too chicken to go back on it are kind of realizing that the binge model isn't great. It doesn't keep you know, you make more money if you have a, a show that causes a weekly conversation versus right. well, just it, binging it all at once. People forget about it in a day. Right. It worked when they were the only game in town. Exactly. It worked when they were the only game in town. Yes. Now they're definitely not. Right. Now they everybody else, the, the cultural money. zeitgeist is like shifted and everyone else is in the same boat you are. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for Netflix to compete when they don't. You know, I mean, we're talking about brands like Disney and Warner Brothers that own IP that people have been watching for their entire lives. And yeah, Stranger Things is great, but it's not in my heart the way that Superman is or Captain America is or Luke Skywalker is or Batman is. You know, like that's mm -hmm. you, you can't compete with that. You can't compete with that. No, so, you, you really anyway, can't. I just thought that was interesting. Was that? You really can't. And their whole model, like, even even when they were a DVD delivery service, because remember, back yeah. in the day, that's what they were. Um, I think they still do that. Really? If you want them, I think they still do that. Yeah. That's awesome. I may, I may someday just do that <laughs> yeah. for the hell of it, because that'd be great. But, like, even doing that was a, it was out of the box. And then yeah. they shifted to streaming, and everybody was like, is this going to work? And then they became the biggest thing since sliced bread in streaming. Yep. And then they never pivoted on this last turn. I know. So, like, how do you keep up with the Joneses? You got to keep changing, keep keep keeping on. Yeah. I mean, they should have, like, I feel like early on, they should have invested heavily in an existing IP before... I don't know, before, like, Disney brought it. I don't know. They should have bought something, right. you know? Like, yeah. I mean, like, like Disney bought Star Wars. Disney bought Marvel. Those are big acquisitions. You know, Netflix could have bought, before the Fox merger, Netflix, I don't know, could they have bought Alien? You know? I don't know. Could they have bought the Muppets from Disney? You know? Like, right. I don't know. Could they have bought something they that people cared about? Could they, they have bought, bought Sesame Back to the Future? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's other stuff out there that people are paying to watch. Um, but I don't know, not on Netflix. Right. So we'll see. I mean, they got Sandman now, which is wild that HBO Max didn't hold on to Sandman, but whatever. Yeah, kind of crazy there, but yeah, I mean, we heard firsthand that it's pretty much, uh, it was pretty much a production cost thing because that show costs right. a boatload of money to produce. Yes, it sure did. But hey, season two. Wee. Um, the other G Peter, blah, blah, blah. the other piece of DC news we got this week—not a ton of news—but we got a new teaser poster, the first official poster for Blue Beetle. 
which again confirms that it is going to be released theatrically this summer. And Steve, I don't know if there's another movie in the world that has had to uh, just like convince audiences so hard that yes, it is going to be in theaters. Like it just keeps having to reiterate it's a theatrical release. It's a theatrical release. Just because Batgirl got canceled and everyone was like, oh, Blue Beetle's not yeah, going to make sunk. it. Blue Beetle's going to go. Blue Beetle's going to go. And I feel like every time I see anything about it, theatrically, theatrically, really, like they're just really, it's still coming out. It's still happening. Right. Like no other movie in the history of the world yep. has had to tell us so hard that it's going to be in theaters. Um, but uh, uh, the poster is a very simplistic one. It doesn't even show any characters. It just shows the uh, classic Blue Beetle scarab which will attach itself to Jaime Reyes and um, make him a whole uh, super cool, shiny beetle costume. Um, it looks shiny. It looks bright. It looks very kind of like 80s kind of like lighting on it, which is something that we kind of saw in the, I think we saw some, maybe some production art for uh, Blue Beetle for like a DC fandom or something that look, kind of looked like that or the title card. Excuse me, kind of looked like that. Yep. Um, and the cool, th uh, another cool thing, was that it was shared for the first time on social media, not by DC, but by James Gunn. His personal account was the first one to oh, reveal really? the poster. And I gotta tell you, like, I mean, I like James Gunn in general, but I really like just having a voice for DC films, the way that Kevin, Fe you know. Like, not even in the same way that Kevin Feige does. Like Kevin Feige every once in a while gets up on a stage in front of people and presents a whole slate, you know? Yep. But he's not super active on like social media or anything, but James Gunn is. And it's cool to have a defining brand voice say like, hey, this movie's coming out, you know? And someone that's responding to fans on Twitter and interacting right. with people like, hey, we're not doing that, we're doing this. He also this past week tweeted, the he wrote, making plans and tweeted a section of the cover of this graphic novel called kingdom come it's a famous dc story and everyone immediately like freaked out like they're doing kingdom come they're doing kingdom come no he tweeted it because the cover of it is superman and a bunch of other heroes standing around a table looking like they're having some kind of like intense conversation and he's making plans with the dc universe and it looks like these characters are making plans i don't think they're adapting kingdom come they need to make 10 years of movies before they can adapt Kingdom Come right. accurately. That's... But it's just like really refreshing as a DC fan to have a voice of the brand um, just kind of be out there and be talking about it and someone that is clearly a fan of the material at the same time. So yeah. that was just really cool. No, that's and it. that seems... Uh, it, there's enough good stories to tell in DC that having gun in that situation is going to be great. Yeah. Like having some yeah. rudder for this is, it's something that's been needed for a long time. Yeah, I agree. Um, did you have a chance to check out the poster? Yeah. That we're talking about the blue beetle poster. What do you think? Is there any, does it make you, I know you're not like super familiar with the character. No. Nope. Does this sway you either way or like, any, I mean, it's a very simplistic poster, but... It is, but it, it's kind of uh, translated to Marvel side. It looks... The poster looks like Iron Man meets Moon Knight. Sure, yeah. I kind see that. that. It is kind of Iron Man-y, yeah. to be honest with you. It, it, it um, has that look to it, and it really... Yeah, whatever works. I don't know if yeah, that's you know what? For, it's very it, it is very much Iron Man meets Moon Knight, now that I'm thinking about it, because it's like the scarab attaches itself to Jaime and creates this like alien tech costume. Yep. So it's kind of like, yeah, and the scarab talks to him. He's the only one that can hear it, but he hears it in his brain, you know? So it's kind of like Just Moon like Knight maybe yeah. talking to himself. Or Iron Man talking to his AI, but also gets this like super powered suit out of nowhere because it's like attached to his back. So, yeah, right. for sure. And he's a kid, so there's also like some Spider Man rolled in there too. I think this. Huh. I hope this movie's good. Yeah. I hope this movie's good. And from what I've, from what I know about it, it seems like again, like I was talking about with. Um, oh, sorry. 
I'm forgetting what episode we talked about what in, but when we were talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer, part of the reason I'm excited for that is James Gunn being an auteur director that writes it and has a vision and like really knows what they're going for. I kind of get that same vibe from the filmmakers of Blue Beetle when I read quotes from them or I see things that they're either referencing or doing when they showed those like set photos of the costume. I was like, wow, they get this character because that looks perfect. This poster looks great. There's an energy to it. Uh, and I'm excited about it. So, nice. yeah, Blue Beetle this summer. Can't wait. Yeah, and that's... All right. God, it, uh, there's so much content coming out. I just randomly was, yeah. I was like, poking around and found, like, the, the MCU slate coming up where it's just, like, Quantumania, Guardians, Marvels, New World Order, Thunderbolts, Blade, I Deadpool know, 3, Fantastic Four... The two Avengers movies, and that's with all the TV stuff in between. Yep, I know. 2003 is going to be an active year. I know I just mentioned this on either the Indiana Jones re uh, trailer review or the Guardians trailer review. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in 2003 or 2023. Yep. Because um, not only are we getting our normal slew of Marvel stuff, we're also getting four DC movies. And however many other, whatever, Marvel shows, Star Wars shows, whatever, like it's going to be, it's going to be a busy year for you and me, my friend. I oh, say. yeah. Well, and then like in that Marvel slate, the TV shows, there's a bunch of them, but it's also including stuff like Daredevil Born Again and Loki Season right. 2 and Secret Invasion. Right. Like lots of stuff. Secret Invasion. There's, there's many, many implications around Secret Invasion, like. It's not yeah. just something you take lightly, and it's just thrown in here. And that trailer looks so great. Much the trailer out. for that looked really good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, and across the Spider Verse too. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. And Craven. So yeah, stay tuned in a couple of weeks. Craven is twenty three. Uh, Craven screeners have been out. Apparently, it's not as bad. Really. As, uh, Man, I hope it's good. I would love it for. I would love for it to be good. Imagine it being good. No, God. I actually can't imagine it being good. I know. Neither can I. But I, the, how great would it be if it was good? Yeah. yeah so no. great. What a shock. Yeah, yeah well. stay tuned in a couple of weeks for our end of year um, wrap-up show. I think last year we did like a top top three from movies, TV, at least, I think, from each Something one. Like and, then, um, and then we also talked about what's coming out next year. That list is going to be long gonna be long this year so stay mm -hmm. tuned for that moving from dc into star wars boy let the speculation begin daisy ridley ray skywalker herself was at lucasfilm headquarters this past week posted about it on her instagram dun, stories dun, dun. what's that i said dun 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 <laughs> dun 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 uh, she posted a caption on her story as well, saying it was that she was at she was indeed at Lucasfilm, but it was quote nothing saucy, and that she was just there for lunch. But come on, there's no way, there's no way that Daisy Ridley is having lunch at Lucasfilm, and at no point are they talking about Ray, right, and Star Wars, like that comes up at some point. At some point, someone talks to her about. So, what are we doing here? Yeah, we're so. Uh, you want you want uh, you want to do this again? Yeah, let's let's do this yeah. again. Yeah. Do you like money? How about? Okay, we'll give you yeah. money. So, yeah, someone definitely slid a number across the table yeah. <laughs> slowly during that lunch. It was just lunch, and she says it was just lunch, but. Um, who knows? And I mean, speculation being what it is, we just recently reported a couple weeks ago that the Star Wars movie being written, co-written by David Lindelof and directed by a woman whose name I do not remember right now. Um, we know that that movie takes place after the events of Rise of Skywalker. Is that movie the start of a new trilogy? Does it involve Rey? It could. It very much could. She could be a side character. She could be the main character. Who knows? I don't know. Steve, how much do you want to see Daisy Ridley return as Rey? I mean, if they're going to bring Daisy Ridley back, it's a absolute hundred. Like, yeah, she did great as the character, and it's a solid character. And 
I would love to see them flesh it out, but part of me also wants just a hard break from anything that says Skywalker near it uh, for at least a bit. I mean, yes, it's mm. we've had a we've had a dearth of movies. We've had a lot of content that is still very tied to the Skywalker saga, right? So it's like uh, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. I'm half and half, especially well, after think... the, the taste of something fresh like Andor. Just like it's so. So right. so right there in your face. Yeah, like... I think I think I've said before, maybe it was on an Andor review episode, but I'll say it here on the main feed that um, what I would love, I would love for somebody like a Tony Gilroy, the showrunner of Andor, to write the next Ray story or Finn and Poe or Rose or whatever. Like I would love to hit for that because he would take just those characters. And just write a good story. Right. And not involve all the lore and the Skywalker-y stuff from the previous three trilogies Mm -hmm. that they had to do in the sequel trilogy or whatever. Um, They had to reference those things because they were tying all this stuff up or they felt they had to reference all those things because they were tying it up. But I would love, like, yo, somebody just take Rey as a character and just write a good story with her. Like, all I need is her to be the the main character or a character in it. It doesn't have to be... And I feel like... That's a good possibility because as mixed as people are on the sequel trilogy and as much as you and I didn't really like Rise of Skywalker very much, it did kind of wrap up all of that stuff. Like there's not too, you can't really, there's not too much to dredge from that original trilogy or the prequel trilogy anymore. Like they kind of tied all those knots right up. I mean, they also tied them up they, they tied Palpatine up pretty well at the end of Return of the Jedi. How'd that work out? You know what, Steve? They did. But um, I would say that it was a dumb decision to bring him back. So if they want to keep making dumb decisions, then sure, they can do that. But they can also move forward in a smart way and leave all that shit behind, which I'm hoping that they do. Because I think if someone just wants to write the beginning of a new trilogy and raise the main character, it only very, it doesn't even, it doesn't have to reference all that lore. It can only reference it in like, oh, her last name Skywalker. Yeah, she took it because she was influenced by her mentor or something. You know, like mm-hmm. whatever. Reference it, but it doesn't have to be a main plot point. Like it, like all the main plot points from the sequel trilogy came from the prequels and the original trilogy, right. more or less. And they can just start something new. But you can start something new with a character that we already know and we already like: Ray, Finn, Poe, Rose, whatever. Yeah. I say like because I like them. I know a lot of people hate all four of those characters, but I'm not one of them. I'm one that likes all of them. So, if you somehow more, hate please. all four of those characters, like I, I hate those movies not for the characters, but for the movies themselves. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, the movie. In all honesty, I was gonna say I don't. Like, I no only movies. hate one of those movies. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Like Last Jedi is up there for me, and Force Awakens is right in the middle of the pack somewhere. Yeah, I love Force Awakens. I'm the opposite of you. I love Force Awakens. Last Jedi is... I'm 50-50 on Last Jedi, but right. Rise of Skywalker is low for me. So We can always agree on anyway, that. Anyway. Yep. Well, can always agree on that. Someday. We, let's, someday we'll debate our Star Wars rankings, but... Yeah. Let's shift today. to something that we know we both like. Yeah. Mandalorian? I think he was pretty good. I think he's pretty good. I like that show quite yeah. a bit. And now we know that season three is officially going to be coming out on March first 2023 originally they were saying february now we know not quite february march 1st um the return of din Djarin and grogu uh we know from the trailer which i forgot that we even saw a trailer until yeah. i was kind of putting this rundown together i was like oh yeah we did know a little bit about this we know that the two of them are going to be going to mandalore um the planet that spawned i mean mandalorians in general and we know that not all of them follow the same strict code that he does in the not taking off the helmet stuff, but uh, he does. And he also is the owner of the Darksaber currently, which means he is the rightful ruler of the people of Mandalore. Does he want it? No. Who does? Bo-Katan Kreese, who uh, was very clear that she wanted it at the end yeah. of Mando Season 2. And I'm sure there's going to be some conflict there. Um, because you can only take the Darksaber in battle by defeating somebody in battle. So 
Um, we saw maybe they're going to have to figure that, something out. They're... In that trailer, we saw shots of Bo-Katan sitting on a throne of some sort. Throne. With, yeah. uh, you can only assume uh, that being part of the conflict with Din. So it's, yeah. that's going to be interesting. And Katie Sackhoff is amazing in that role. Uh, awesome to yep. see they use, again, you know, rehashing, but awesome to see they use the voice actor for the role yeah. in live action. I love when they do that. I love when they can do that. Um, so, yeah, either they're going to have to find a loophole in that Darksaber lore, or Bo-Katan is going to or is gonna want to fight Mando um, for the owner of that Darksaber, and uh, seemingly that's at least the, the starting point for the series. Who knows where it's going to end up? But I'm very excited for it to come back, especially after Andor was so good and so different. Um, it kind of really, it was a way that like gave me more Star Wars, but not made me like, uh, now I got to watch another Star Wars show because it mm-hmm. was so different. It was such a left turn. Now I'm ready to go back to more like poppy, fun blasters and lightsabers. Yep. Star Wars. Um uh, Tim Meadows and Christopher Lloyd also joining the cast for undisclosed roles in season three of Mandalorian. So, um, I don't know what that is, but I think for some reason, Christopher Lloyd makes a ton of sense to me being in this show. I don't know what it is. Like if you told me he was going to be in like last Jedi, I'd be like, what? That doesn't make sense. But for some reason, Mandalorian, I was like, yeah, bring me Christopher Lloyd. He sounds great. Meanwhile, Tim Meadows doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Like I, I mean, who knows? It could be a voice. It could be a stormtrooper. <laughs> like, oh, it, it could really be know. awesome. We, it's know. just my my brain always goes to like, uh, what was? Oh God, was it Ladies' Man? The old SNL. Skit? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my my Tim Meadows automatically goes back to the old SNL days. So, yeah, yeah. Needless I agree. I don't know what he's gonna do, but. Um, but they've used like Horatio Sands has been in this has been in Mandalorian a few times. Mm, like there's been other comedic actors that have done well in um oh I'm blanking on her name. Plays that recurring character on Tatooine, the fix it Lee. Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris, yep. Um, and uh, Paul you know, So like they've definitely like uh Paul Sun Hung Lee Sun Young Lee from uh Kim's Convenience. He's one of the X-Men yeah. pilots. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um and I think that probably has to do with John, John Favreau being a director of comedies mm-hmm. and knowing comedic people. You know, Amy Sedaris was in Elf, which is directed by John Favreau. Right. Um, so he may have a connection. He may have an understanding of comedic actors that have the chops to do something a little more serious. Or he just wants somebody funny. You know, it could be a role. Tim Meadows could be doing something like Amy Sedaris's character. Right. Where it needs to be a little bit funny. And she's a little bit of a wacko. But so are we going to see like Jeremy Piven and David Spade uh, show up in Mandalorian now from PCU? <laughs> Going like I would oh, love a oh, PCU reunion. That would be that would be amazing. But in Star Wars, <laughs> that would be great. Oh, and you know what? P Funk just fits right in. You don't even have to. <laughs> there's there's yeah. no makeup involved. They already got the outfits. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> the Parliament Funkadelic is ready to rock. Yeah. They could shoot part of season three on like a stage set for Parliament Funkadelic. It'd be great. <laughs> got the ship, the spaceships. Yeah, everything. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> great point. Um, so moving from uh, a show where you see Pedro Pascal only rarely, and he's usually wearing a mask, to a show where you will see him all the time without a mask on. In the world of miscellaneous news, we got a full trailer for HBO Max's The Last of Us adaptation. We had gotten a teaser um, a few weeks ago or a month or month or two ago. This is a full trailer for um, The Last of Us, which is coming out January 15th on HBO Max, based on the video game, mm-hmm. the um, critically acclaimed video game that I have played. Yep. Um, I played the first. I never played the second. You- I haven't played the second one either. I need to get it. I need to get it and play it. But my hesitancy to get the second one and play it is the same hesitancy I have about watching this show. The video game is terrifying. (laughs) Like, Steve, (laughs) it's really scary. (laughs) It's really scary. I didn't think I could be scared by, well, no, Descent back in the day. But, like, 
it takes a lot for a video game to be scary, and that did it. Yeah. I. It took me a long time to. Shit, get it takes a lot for game. you to be scared from anything, too. Because in there general. were. I don't know about that. There what? was there were levels in this game that I was so scared of that I would like. I would try it, and if I didn't complete it, I would just turn everything off and wait two days. Take it, yeah, take, <laughs> just take try a it again. Break. I was like, I can't, I can't go back yeah. to it. It's too the, much. Uh, no, I, was, I mean, I mean in general, the, like in I, media, you you enjoy the scarier ends of media for the most part. I do. Yeah, I like horror movies, but I don't like being in one. Right. And when a game makes me feel like I'm in it, <laughs> and I'm it really terrified. Does. I've been in the beginning of a video game called Alien Isolation for like five years. <laughs> And every time I play it, I'm terrified. And I can't go back to it because I'm yeah. just like, do I want to play the game tonight? No, because I'd rather not just be sitting here terrified on my couch that I'm going to get murdered mm -hmm. by an alien. So that was the same with The Last of Us. Although I will also tell you, and I'm not the first one to say this, The Last of Us is the, one, is the greatest story in a video game that I've ever experienced ever. It's the best storytelling in a video game. I will also, Ever, which is what that. makes me want to play the second one right. because I feel like I'm sure it's the same. Um, and this trailer looks great. It was, it's, I told my wife, it was weird hearing Pedro Pascal's voice so much and having it not come from underneath a Mandalorian helmet at this point. At this point, I've seen him more, I've heard his voice more as the Mandalorian than I have seen him in. I've seen his face in stuff. Like he was in Game of Thrones for like three episodes or something. Right. Um, but just like hearing his voice in this trailer, I was like, yeah, he should be wearing a Mandalorian helmet while he's saying those things. It's not coming Did out. Did you of ever right seen Narcos? Thing. No, I okay. haven't. That would have that, right? that would have gotten you more used to it too. Um, okay. The uh, for me, it's going to be weird too. Like Joel and Ellie not being Joel and Ellie, sorta. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, because they don't sound like themselves. They're right. Just, yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I think there's a lot of promise. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's shot incredibly well. There's some cool, yeah. you know, wide shots of landscapes. I guess, like, I guess I don't know what they're planning, but from what I remember from the game, it seems like this show covers a lot of the game, a lot of it. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't. So, like, are they not going for a season two, or is season two just going to be game number two? Yeah, I don't know. know. Whatever. We'll have to see what happens, I guess. But it it seems like they're maybe doing the entire first game, but I could be wrong. Who knows? I still, uh, I I forgot that uh, Robbie Reyes himself, Gabriel Luna, is uh, playing Tommy. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that too. Nick Offerman. So we it. shall see. What's that? Who's Nick, in it? Nick Offerman. I know. Yeah, he's in the trailer. He looks yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> a non-comedic role from, I mean, assumingly a, a non-comedic role. It doesn't seem right. like a very funny show. There's one that There was one moment of levity in the trailer where Ellie pretends that she starts turning into a zombie and then realizes this is it's not funny. I right. should stop. Um, so yeah, January 15th. Comes out sooner than I thought. I didn't think it was that soon, but... Here we are. Going to be rolling right into that from uh, Doom Patrol that comes out January 8th. It's oh, coming Thursday, I believe. So um, I'll be excited to watch that. Um, I think I said last week, but unfortunately, Steve's not caught up on Doom Patrol, so we can't do a week-by-week -week review of it, but I'm sure that I will be mentioning it because um, I plan to watch it um, right as it's coming out because it's great. Also watching Titans while we're talking about this kind of stuff. I should say that I am um, watching Titans, and it's fine. I gotta say, like the writing on that show is not the best. It's still cool that they're, you know, making even making a Titans show that has not been lost on me. Right. I feel like this. Here's the here's the thing. The story is good. The dialogue is not. That's mm -hmm. the difference. The story that they're telling is good. The dialogue between characters is like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's bad writing. So macro level, great. Micro level, not great. Uh, Doom as, Patrol as Star Wars to be fans, excellent. Do we ever know anything about that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's great. We saw three prequel movies that were the same 
mm-hmm. exactly the same uh, scenario. So, anyway, moving into comics. This week, at your local comic book store, you can look forward to picking up Avengers 63, Batman number 130. By the way, Steve, I still need that book from you. You oh, bought me a Batman yeah. book that I don't have. And I've seen yeah. you like five I should have asked you to bring it. I, I saw you earlier today. I should have asked you to bring it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Well, you will, uh, you will actually be at my house next weekend, so grab it then. I will? I think so. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, oh. all right. Um, Batman 130, Bloodstained Teeth, number seven, Captain Marvel, number 44, Daredevil, number six, Dark Web, number one, Fantastic Four, number two, Gargoyles, number one. This is the comic book canonical continuation of the 90s animated show Gargoyles. So if you are nostalgic for that, get your ass to a comic book store this week and pick up Gargoyles, number one. Godzilla, Monsters and Protectors, number three. Immortal X-Men, number nine. Know Your Station, number one. Magic the Gathering, number 21. Miles Morales, Spider-Man gets a new number one. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur get a new number one. Poison Ivy number seven, a new arc starts with Poison Ivy. I think Poison Ivy was only supposed to be six issues. Yeah. They must and have. It, I think it was so well received that they extended it. I think they're getting another six at nice. least. So that's cool because I read all six and I thought it was great. Uh, very excited about it. And it looks looking like we might get a little bit of a uh, Harley Quinn in the next arc. So here we go. Spider-Man, number three, Star Wars Hidden Empire, number two, Thor, number 29, Tiger Division, number two, X-Force, 35, and Extreme X-Men, number one. Getting a new number one for Extreme X-Men, a title that was around in the early 2000s, which I read at least one run of and thought it was great. So I don't know what they're doing with Extreme X-Men nowadays, but maybe I'll find out sooner than later. Extreme Steve. X-Men may be the most 90s name for a comic ever. I know, yeah. And I don't think it was the 90s. I think it was like mid-2000s. But, you know, there's a little bit of hangover there. Oh, yeah. uh, Steve, is there anything that you're reading currently or anything that you're planning to pick up from this list or otherwise? Oh, God, what was I reading? Uh, still going on the Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, Black, Black Panther run. Um, nice. I was reading a floppy of something that was really, really good, and I can't remember what. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was great, and this makes for awesome podcast. Uh, I am. <laughs> I am very. I'm. I'm curious what and why and how they're doing with Dark Web, uh, which apparently yeah. is Ben Riley as Chasm teaming up with Madeline Pryor. Whoa. So that's something I did not know. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, I don't know whether this is a thing or what. That's wild. Madeline Pryor. I thought she was dead. Uh, She probably has been a couple times. I'm sure she has been. (laughs) I mean, those hasn't really those clones have got to stick together, man. Yeah, that's right. We're talking X-Men. I mean, who hasn't been dead? Right. Um, Has Storm ever died? Uh, Beast? Has Beast ever died? If not, he should very soon. Uh, long, <laughs> long story on your, uh, wow. yeah. Well, modern modern Beast is a it's its own animal. Um, okay, there's some Steve coming out anti Beast. Who knew? Hank McCoy is not the Hank McCoy of old right now. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Looking forward to hearing more about that after we're done recording because I don't know anything about that. Um. <laughs> I don't think Storm has ever died. She's the first person that came to my head as someone that has never died, and an and X-Men that has never died. Right. Like, X-Men die all no, the time, Katie. I think. Yeah, I feel like, well, and especially now with the, the resurrection protocols and that. Oh, so. yeah, I know. Now nobody can die. Right. Uh, well, now, now, now we're back to being able to die, I think. Oh, or, okay. Or on our way there, so. Okay. I mean, I do like that they just kind of put it Right out on Front Street, like, yeah, we know. We're all coming back. Let's just make it part of canon that when you die, we're going to bring you back. Right. So you don't have to go through some, like, six-issue event in order to return to life. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I know Darwin doesn't die because, well, he can't. Well, he can't, except if you're watching X-Men First Class. Right. (laughs) Sure seems like he can. Yeah. 
that they pick the one mutant that literally can't die to die. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. That's one of the best X-Men movies, I think. Yeah. Um, but they even say in that movie about how he can adapt to literally anything. And then he's like the first one that dies. I'm like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure you just told me. <laughs> Didn't you just set this figure up? out a way to survive this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like movie, movie. You told me that movie. And you're also <laughs> telling me that he just died. That doesn't make any sense at all. Right. This is not one of those but, like push up the glasses moments of like, well, he can't actually die because of it. It's like, no, you right, told me. Exactly. That. Yeah. Like, you literally you're not ignoring canon. I'm paying attention to what you told me. <laughs> read like the subtitles. Ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Read the subtitles. <laughs> yeah. It says this guy can't die. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's dead. Great. Okay. Cool. Um, but that is a great that's one of the best X-Men movies, I think. Yeah. Um All right. That's I just recently I'm finally caught up on Superman Son of Kal-El. I'm finally caught up on Ooh, I'm not quite caught up on Nightwing. I think I'm still one behind on Nightwing, but getting my Tom Taylors up and out of the way. Especially Superman Son of Kal-El is ending pretty soon, so that'll be one more off my list. And I know we were talking earlier how I'm starting to try to transition. I used to be a collected edition graphic novel only. Mm -hmm. Then I fell down the rabbit hole of single issues. I have not been able to climb out of. And I'm not saying I can completely climb out of it, but I'm going to try to climb out of it a little bit. So I'm getting less single issues and more trades trade yep. paperbacks so we'll yoda. see how successful i am at that that's the floppy i was reading the new yoda that... run the number one from the new yoda run. oh yeah Kevin yoda Scott. just picked up yeah how was it good yeah yeah all right cool, you know, cool. the the standard one issue on a mini where it's just like here's your setup enjoy yeah oh i think i looked through that at a comic book store now that i'm thinking about it wasn't didn't it start with like him talking to Somebody via the force, but they never told you who it was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Let me know if you find out who it is. I want to know. Sounds good. Cool. All right. We got a couple one shots. Uh, two one shots. I'm going to wrap this up because we're getting uh, pretty late here. Um, Steve, you want to kick off this first one shot? Sure. In uh, deals that involve extremely large creatures. Sony has made a deal with Legendary Entertainment. Legendary is the company behind Dune and the Godzilla Kong MonsterVerse stuff. Yeah, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, but for our purposes. Yeah, so apparently they got pissed off at the HBO Max day and date release that yeah, Warner that Brothers sure did. did and has fully cut ties with uh, Warner Brothers in favor of Sony, which kind of sucks for everybody else. Like, yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think legendary, like um, Christopher Nolan, the director, was very outspoken about that decision. Yeah, to go day and date um, with theatrical versus uh, streaming. I loved it. I got to say, as a consumer that was not comfortable going to the movies that year, oh um, yeah, 100%. I was very happy <laughs> that I got to sit home and watch Dune. I was going to say um, I probably still wouldn't have sent, seen Dune if it wasn't for that. Yeah, same. Yeah, I. Godzilla versus Kong, same yep. thing. Like that's a dumb, fun movie, but I wasn't gonna pay to go see that necessarily. I mean, maybe I will the sequel, but I don't know. Um, and Christopher Nolan, like I think all his all of his movies are through Legendary. I think he has he has a big tie with oh, Legendary. Really? All the Dark Knight movies, I think, are Legendary. So gotcha. I think he was a kind of a big voice in um, saying, giving the Warner Brothers the old, you know, fuck you, and uh, getting out of there. So. I guess we'll see. I think, from what I re- I think Dune 2 is still going to be coming out via Warner Brothers because that was, like, established ahead of time. But, you know, now whatever Godzilla versus Kong sequel that we've been... We've already heard about. They're making a Kong and Godzilla sequel. That's not going to be on HBO Max. It's going to be somewhere else, I guess. We'll see. Because Sony is, like, a big studio... Sony's, like, the biggest studio that doesn't have its own streaming service. There's no Sony Plus or anything, you know? Right. They still farm out their stuff to Netflix and other stuff. So well, that's because I was trying oh. to watch that second. Uh, yeah, I think they have something with like stars, maybe. Ugh, come on, yeah, just get rid of those premium cable stars, epics. No one watches that shit. You're not gonna make any money. Come on, wise up, Hollywood. Anyway, our next, uh, next and final one shot. 
something pretty cool. There's a cool image that came out this week of something that we would have seen if Sam Raimi was able to make his Spider-Man 4. Um, Spider-Man 4 was already in production when Sony decided to cancel it, or I think Sam Raimi decided he didn't want to do it or something, because I think it was that thing where Sony owns the rights of Spider-Man and they had to be in production on a Spider-Man movie or they had to release a Spider-Man movie in a certain time in order to keep the rights. Mm-hmm. And it was like a super tight thing. And Sam Raimi was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, like, I, it's too much. It's too soon. Right. I can't rush so they it canceled make a it. good movie like that. Yeah. So, right. Sam Raimi was going to make Spider-Man 4 with Tobey Maguire and they were going to continue that timeline. But um, it they didn't they couldn't see eye to eye on a release date or a schedule or anything, so he ended up stepping away, and they went with Mark Webb and ended up making the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man. Um, but Spider-Man Four was in development, and the movie it was either I mean this was either heavily rumored or I don't know if it was ever confirmed, but John Malkovich was going to play the Vulture, which. You know, we know the vulture now is Michael Keaton. Um, I don't know. The comic book vulture kind of looks a little bit more like John Malkovich, I think. You know, like a little bit older, bald, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And I, I love Keaton's vulture. I thought it was incredible. Homecoming is one of my favorite um, Spider-Man movies. But, um, so, but, you know, no one, you know, in the early 2000s, I think everyone still looked at Michael Keaton as Batman and never, no one thought that he would ever play another comic book thing at all. Right. So uh, it was going to John Malkovich. Comic book writer and artist Ken Penders apparently got to visit the set or the behind the scenes while they were making stuff for Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 and took a picture of um, a designer wearing at least one of vulture's wings and it was a practical uh it was a practical prop of a giant like metal wing or something coming off this dude's arm and it looked awesome like i say it looked really cool um so if you're interested in in what may have been um you can go check that out it's all over you know nerd twitter and online and that kind of stuff so you can check out ken pender's on Twitter, he posted the original image. Um, so that's cool. Steve, do you think Spider-Man 4 would have been good? Because Spider-Man 3 was not. Yeah. I I don't know if Raimi was able to go back and say, see, I told you so, then maybe. But at that point in time, yeah, I don't that... know how much power he had over what Sony was telling him to do versus right. what he had to do. So. Yeah, because he was forced to put Venom in Spider-Man 3. Right, when it, that um, whole thing should have been its own movie. Yeah, I think that was a big reason why Spider-Man 3 sucked. Because uh, yeah. he was forced to kind of do too much. They should have introduced the symbiote in Spider-Man 3 and then made the Spider-Man 4 should have been Venom if right. they wanted to do it right. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember reading that they were going to introduce the character Felicia Hardy. Oh, really? I, hmm. I mean, I'm trying to bring up memories of things that I read on Wikipedia right. in, you know, 2004. <laughs> so, but I, I remember reading about John Malkovich. I remember that they wanted to introduce Felicia Hardy, black cat. Oh no, sorry. They wanted to introduce Felicia Hardy. And I think that it may have been Anne Hathaway. Oh, that was going to be Felicia Hardy. But instead, this is, I, this is not confirmed. This is this is a memory again from twenty years ago. Right. That Felicia Hardy would not have become Black Cat. She would have become a female version of the Vulture called Vultureess, which I think is stupid. Yeah. No. So, hmm. I think John Malkovich would have been a great Vulture. Being Adrian Toomes. Yeah. But. I don't know. That's all I got. Um, that's all I got, Steve. You got anything else? No, I'm good here. I'd say I'm if trying you're... to think if I like watched anything worth talking about or I don't know, nothing really nerdy that's new. I mentioned Titans already. I don't know. I'm good to go. I think if you are. Yeah, I'm great. I'd say cool, uh, cool. I'd say we can you know wrap this thing up. If you're listening on or watching on Twitch, feel free to follow us. Watching on YouTube. 
you know, subscribe, like, you know, turn on notifications. Otherwise, reach out, out to us at themultiversesport.com, multiversesport at gmail.com. Uh, multiversesport on Twitter, well, multiversesport there, multiversesport on any of the other socials. Uh, feel free to leave us a review. really helps us out. Um, if you're on a podcast, podcatcher, it's, it's almost midnight. Give me some slack here. Uh, I know, jeez, so tired. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, try and reach out. We'll uh, We'll hit you up. Yeah, thanks so much for watching um, or listening. And until next time, we'll see you in the multiverse.